G'day, and welcome to the Australian Health Design Council podcast series, Health Design on the Go. I'm your host, David Cummins, and today we're speaking to Justin Lederfield and Stephanie Clark, who are representing Clark Hopkins Clark Architecture in Melbourne. Justin has built a reputation for not only his people-centred approach, but for his business acumen. He understands that a successful outcome hinges on the delivery of innovation solutions and service continuation and expansion, maximising budgets and achieving challenging timelines. Stephanie Clark is an interior designer at Clark Hopkins Clark. From New York to Melbourne, she has worked on diverse health, workplace and commercial seniors living and care projects, mental health coordination and co-design with clinicians and people with lived experience is a specialty. Welcome, Clark Hopkins Clark. Thank you for your time to be here. Thanks, Dave. I must admit this is the first duo I've interviewed, so hopefully it goes well. I must admit we had our pre-interview just before and I couldn't stop asking questions, so I'm really excited about this interview. We're predominantly focusing on mental health today. Why is mental health design so important? And even more importantly, why is mental health interior design so important? Mental health, what we've found is probably prevalent in every single project we do. So from the very start of getting into healthcare about 30 years ago, when I started at community health level, and I have an interest in it, my mum's a psychologist, and it was just one of those situations where we found whatever clinical group that we dealt with, there was always a mental health side to it. And now, of course, it's become so prevalent after COVID that the the amount of money the government and other organisations are spending towards clients and looking after people within our communities is incredible. So we just find it an amazing challenge and very rewarding with the projects that we do. And how does interior design move into that, Stephanie? How is the actual environment itself important to mental health? That's a great question. I think we can acknowledge spaces make us feel either positive or negative. They affect our daily moods, empower us to be versions of ourselves. So I think interior design has a huge opportunity to benefit people who suffer from mental health, but also aid in their recovery, shorten the recovery times, and generally support clinicians in providing that care. It was really interesting in actually both your bios, the importance of actually liaising and experience and speaking to people with lived experiences, whether it be from a user group or from an interview point of view. I've done quite a few mental health podcasts now, and it seems to be one of the biggest pain points for designers and the design team and project team about how to actually extract that information from people with lived experiences and actual inpatients or outpatients about what is the best environment for someone knowing that a lot of architects may not have actually experienced in-house or in-care mental health. How does Clark Hoppins Clark get around that barrier of actually making sure that people with lived experiences are part of the journey? Yes, I mean, it's something that we really pride ourselves on and it's a point of difference. We really value the actual bespoke nature of every project and we find that the traditional model is to start with executives, leaders, maybe clinicians and specialists, and they tell us what they want. Mental health, we feel, is very different. And what we end up trying to do is getting in amongst the actual clinical team or the mental health team that are the people who are consulting with the consumers or the actual patients themselves. So we've got projects and it takes time. It's not like an instant, easy get. 
we have to build up trust and we have to build up an understanding of the way that that group and every group's different, the way they work. We have to start virtual or on the phone and then we have to present documents then the clinical teams or the mental health team present onto the consumers. We're not even in the room. Then we start to get in the room and we listen. One of our main values is listening first. And that's something that you have to do. The tone of your voice is different. You have to speak almost a different language. And Steph, some of the language that we had to use with the clinician or the consumers. Yeah, we definitely have a listen first approach and we stay curious throughout the whole journey of the project. We acknowledge that everyone has their own story and that's what lived experience collaboration is listening to their stories and giving them that platform. So staying curious along that journey really gave them the trust in us with that information and just made for better design outcomes. You almost feel privileged in a way to be in a room with the consumers because they'll move around the space as well and you have to be highly respectful of their situation the sensitivity around what you're saying might make them uncomfortable. They may even leave the room for a while and they come back and you need to think about how to engage with them without scaring them off or how do you how do you tap into their world and, and where they're pulling back from because we might seem scary to them. How do you make them feel very comfortable so that they'll open up and start to have just a conversation with you? It sounds like a balancing act. What are some of the tips and tricks that you can help guide listeners through that? Because as I've said a few times, it's almost unheard of to have that privileged access to people with lived experiences. Absolutely. I think it's starting with the higher level user groups and picking up on the language they use, acknowledging that everyone has a different preferred language to how they describe their experiences. And oftentimes those user groups are a great reflection of how the consumers like to talk about their experiences. So picking up on that, also asking and not being afraid to ask, may we meet or is there opportunity for us to be in the adjacent room to listen in at the time just to show that interest? Don't be afraid to ask that question initially. It's not a door that's always locked. So starting small steps and then getting into that room over time and with trust. And the other part to it is the changes in mental health. We're now dealing with people with mental health from a two-year-old to an 80-plus-year-old with our project. So you've got to completely change. You might actually draw something or put some toys, and it's not only for the actual person, but it's the carer that's with them. So you're not only just dealing with the person who's obviously you're creating the space for, but it's also for the care of the parent that comes along and helps them through the journey. And so there's added reference there to that co-design it just goes beyond what we would normally think is the clinician or it's the consumer or the patient plus all the other family members and helpers around them yeah it's really interesting and mental health just like sport in the sense that there's so many different types of it and just like you sometimes need a swimming pool or an oval or a footy ground like how does one design for such a plethora of eclectic mixes of mental health people that's absolutely the challenge, which we found in our previous projects, is that you're not designing for one person, not one mental health issue and acknowledging neurodiversity at the same time and different ages. So 
allowing for variety and empowering individual choice was really something that we focused on giving people opportunities and options because you acknowledge that some people prefer refuge or prefer clear sight lines and that is part of the design at every point. One of the main things obviously is it's got to have a very homely or welcoming, inviting, you know, entry point. And from there, we're now designing for instead of just your standard reception desk, there's people roaming around concierge style, picking them up as they walk into door greeting them we're creating different waiting areas so like Steph said for those who are happy to be in amongst some people they're okay or there's some semi-hidden areas that are a lot quieter so that people can choose their destination or their refuge spot and that separation can't be too obvious because you don't want to distinguish between them either it's just where they find their comfortable spot and moving between those spaces we find straight lines are nowhere near as good at bringing people through facilities than curves. We even curve corners so people can't get surprised or hide behind a sharp corner. So once again, it's just lessening the formality of the building and the planning of it to create a real reference back to nature, which is really important to these people. Yeah, absolutely. We focus on those key design strategies, being more home-like, reducing the clinical feel of these spaces and reflecting the context and the communities that will be accessing these services. And I think the other really big part to it, when we spoke about consumers and their support people, but the other part is staff. So to get the best staff to treat the people, we have to create a really safe environment for them. And it doesn't have to be like, alarm bells and push buttons everywhere. It's just being able to have that ability to passively survey their environment. We obviously enable that separation from the consumer at the time they need. So if they need to write up notes or go back to their desk, they can do that in a separate safe environment. We want to create areas where they can be individuals. They can get on the phone to people, call them back and follow up any appointments or also then combine into teams and collaborate. So those wonky, curvy corridors might have little bump spots or spots where people can prop and have a bit of a chat as well. The other part of these facilities is very much about the staff that work in them. You, you mentioned a few times the importance of family and making homely and things like that. Did it ever come across your mind the opportunity for having a loved one stay with their family, just like a maternity patient has their partner stay with them. Was that model of care ever explored where you can actually have a loved one stay with you a little bit more because it could be your mother, your sister, your brother, your son? Is that model of care even being challenged or you're not too sure on that one? It is out there. It is really difficult. Maybe for children that the parent can stay over. For elderly people, you may get a child or a support person stay the places from an inpatient perspective we're now breaking them down into pods and those pods might be of like two bedrooms and you could even have the patient or the consumer in one and the support person the other and it's actually blocked off from the entire facility so that they can actually be safe in their own environment in their own little pod so 
from the old days where there were long corridors, bedrooms either side, there are single loaded corridors, glass on the other side so that there's natural light coming in. People feel like it's a really healing environment. You can actually then see through courtyards into corridors on the other side and you can survey everything that's going on in the place from from a not only people within the facility being cared for, but also the staff managing it all. That's beautiful imagery and fantastic because I know a few hospitals that still do have that long corridor, doors, no paint. So from the construction side of me, this importance of understanding people with lived experience, which everyone's got a program, everyone's got a deadline. How does that actually play into the design program and the importance of actually designing and finding that balance between program and cost, but also the importance of actually listening to your consumers? Well, Steph, to create these atmospheres inside, we did a lot of work at Barwon on picking the right materials and having some fun with some trees. Yeah, that co-design process just takes time and allowing for that in your program, making those decisions over time, but also you lock in those decisions as well so that you don't have them coming down towards the end of development. That really helped. We created a tree as you enter the place. It actually was this all, you could Yeah, I was inspired by the tree to create a centralized point utilizing the base build columns. So we provided this environment that made people feel like they were sitting under a tree in weight spaces. This tree metaphor and motif was replicated throughout the corridors so that people would find their way around the floor plan a bit more easily. But creating these elements out of real timber or opportunities for minimal materiality applied, but maximum achievement of what the idea was behind it. That was kind of part of the material and the interior design strategies, not to make the most out of what we had. And from a cost perspective, just using ply, like everyday ply, you don't have to go off and get someone to whittle or turn out a proper tree. It was just a metaphor for nature. And so as long as we use the right materials and just really simply detailed these trees and any other features, it was making the most out of the opportunities that we had. So it wasn't everywhere. It was just the key nodes and the wallpapers that were used. Yeah. So we also consulted with a local designer with lived experience. And that was a really interesting process because we were looking at the difference in abstract versus literal patterning and working with the co-design group about what was best for those environments and just applying wallpaper with natural flora and fauna to certain spaces to help calm or to help engage with consumers in those spaces. It wasn't a very extravagant material applied and wall vinyl in spaces that needed it, but it really made a big difference to the consumers or those with lived experience with those spaces because it felt to them like it wasn't so clinical anymore. It injected some color and some interest. So whenever we look at those features, we replicated the same elements. So you could make one, you could make 20 of them, the same out of the factory and apply them where we'd like those feature elements. So we were really careful with where they were applied around these facilities and so realistically you're also talking about the benefit of biophilic design and the points of connecting to nature which i am at 100 agree with and the research is actually extremely strong although it hasn't actually been out 
for that long, relatively speaking. When we talk about connecting to nature, did you explore other elements of nature versus just visually and as in trees and grass? Did you explore the other opportunities such as aquariums or natural life like a puppy and things like that? Did you push the boundaries for that or was pretty much nature as in grass and trees? <laughs> yeah, there was an aquarium in there for a little while <laughs> because there is that misapprehension that biophilic design means just introducing vegetation into the space and it's not just that there are non-visual cues to nature like we talked about rounding corners but it's also about people's journey through space so creating feelings of all interests spaces of refuge niches that someone can retreat to clear sight lines was part of that the patterning the yeah. patterning was incredible actually yeah looking at materiality that reference nature movement of water color tones and textures throughout the entire material palette was really important it's complicated but that means it's got so much opportunity when it comes to biophilic design. And you say there was a aquarium? Where is it now? <laughs> they actually had an aquarium which turned into a fish tank that turned into a water feature that I think might have ended up being a screen <laughs> yeah. because it had to go through the hospital. So infection control, even to get plants, they're saying that mold spores were in the earth which the plants were growing in and then it wasn't a healthy place for people to work they're the challenges that you go through so some of these things might peel back a bit so we didn't quite get the children's hospital aquarium in there but there were certainly themes that were able to spin off and we looked at water as one of the themes on one of the levels as well and using those sort of natural forms at the end of the day we've captured a lot of those biophilic elements through different textures, patterning materials to get the result that we needed from that aspect. And we still have lots of natural light. So the planning of the spaces was really key and, you know, shapes, etc. were a lot of fun actually <laughs> design with as well. Exactly. And as designers, we really did listen to the user groups and those with lived experience. And we weren't afraid to push what was going into these spaces and ask the question, can we get a fish tank in there? Can we put in running water? Can we put in real plants? Because you don't know until you ask the question. I think that really is the reason why we all like the world of health, because there's so many moving parts of infection control and facilities management and whatever it may be, and dealing with people who may have comorbidities or immunosuppressed patients. Their level of challenge, which I think what drives all of us, is there. And I personally really do want to see a fish tank in a mental health ward, and I'm sure <laughs> we can do it. We just have to see how we can do it. We're just about to run out of time. Is there any take-home message for people listening, especially overseas, about what they can do to try and emphasize the importance of mental health design and that importance of actually connecting to people with lived experiences? The one for me is we've got a set of values at CHC, which are to listen first, stay curious, create together and make it matter. If we keep reminding ourselves of that throughout this process, we feel like we're going to go a long way down the track of getting it right. But so much about the people that are in the facility at the end, not about us. It's just how we can facilitate the best outcome for it. We learn so much on every project and there's such a challenge. That's what we like about it as well. Every one of the projects is different. Every one of them comes up with a different diversity or something that you haven't thought of and the learning through these projects is incredible. So 
they're really mentally challenging. I couldn't agree more. I think we focus so much on fostering a deep sense of belonging in the spaces we create. And that's by listening to the users, by listening to the brief and asking questions and staying curious throughout the project. So that's been what's really exciting about working in the mental health design space. Thank you so much for your time, both of you. I know you've both got busy schedules. The thing that really resonated for me with this interview is the importance of listening and the level of empathy that you provide to people with lived experiences, not only through your design, but through your consultation and understanding the sensitivities that some people may have, but also prioritizing that to your designs. And I just absolutely love this this conversation. I think you're fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of people learn a lot from this and will connect with you, no doubt, through this podcast and otherwise. So thank you so much for your dedication to this. Thank you so much for actually going to that level of detail to listening, which a lot of people talk about, but don't actually do. I think it's very obvious through your designs and through your conversation and the interview that um, you actually do really live by your values. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Australian Health Design Council podcast series, Health Design on the Go. To learn more about the AHDC, please connect with us on our LinkedIn or website. Thank you for listening.